There's a telephone. There's a telephone. Don't, don't, don't panic. Don't, don't panic. It's a telephone. It's Mrs. Fox. It's Mrs. Fox. It's Mrs. Fox. Hello, my darling. It's me. Now you're going to give me the answer and don't keep me waiting in suspense any longer because I love you and love you and love you and I want to be with you forever and ever. Oh. <laughs> it's the Colonel for you, Captain. <laughs> Back to Hooing Company. It's episode 69. <laughs> I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. You'd think that we'd have learned our lesson by now, but we here at Hooing Company are gluttons for punishment. So we thought, hey, let's invite James from the DWP back onto the show to discuss Doctor Who. Do you think that's wise? We travel back in James' foggy memory to better understand when, where, and why he became a fan, how that translated into a long-running podcast, and why he thought we'd be nicer to him than the other members of the DWP. Then we hearken back to the good old days of World War II for James' pick of the month, Dad's Army. We discuss the origins of the show, the links of James' obsession with it, and why James thinks this is more of a UK institution for people of a certain age than even Doctor Who. And all that's coming up right after this. Stupid boy. You're a shop assistant, aren't you? What's your address? 27 Jackman Drive. Are you coming? 27 Jackman Drive. I'm sorry, I still didn't quite catch that. 27 Jackman. Jutland Drive. Oh, Jutland Drive. Yes, what number? 27. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 27. 27. Well, then, Miss uh, Samways, I wonder what sort of a task we can find for you. Mm. Answering the telephone, do you think, sir? (laughs) No doubt you know the voice of this month's guests, either from this very show, at least once a year, or from our other podcast, that's THE Doctor Who Podcast. It's longtime podcasting legend, James Rockliffe. Hey, James. Hello, Brent. Hello, Dream. So how's it going this morning? Uh, this morning um it's this morning for you it's afternoon for me (laughs) yeah i I would normally be having my afternoon nap about now uh and instead i'm talking to 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 you two about uh, a very old um british tv institution uh but i'm i'm fine i'm very very pleased and quite honored uh, to be invited on after six years um after you started your (laughs) podcast (laughs) Now, Brent would say we were saving the best for last, uh-huh. but uh, truth be told, we just kn- everyone else just said no. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the very last podcast you're doing, is it, Drew? <laughs> uh, last resort, but, uh, you know. Hey, don't worry, folks. Uh, we've got great guests lined up for March. 
<laughs> Thank you. I've never felt more welcome. This is just like an episode of the DWP. One of the things that I, I pride myself on, actually, and when we do our DWP Who and Company crossovers, is, is I, I deliberately point out to our listeners that the tone of the show is markedly different. I mean, you're, you're slower uh, in pace, it's more conversational, you're nice to each other, uh, <laughs> and it's, it, it's quite difficult to, to switch modes. You see, I'm, normally when I'm recording with Ian, for example, uh, if there's a gap of any kind, it's, it's generally because we're trying to think how best to insult each other next. Uh, but that doesn't <laughs> seem to be the default uh, for, for you and Brent, and it's refreshing, I must say. <laughs> oh, so... We aren't supposed to be. Brent, we're going to have to get rid of some of those insults that we had planned. So just, we're going to keep it a lice, lice tone. Okay. Sorry. Just uh, shut up. Tone? Shut up, Drew. <laughs> <laughs> that's Brent. That, that's a DWP effect on, on me. Well, James, uh, for those that don't know, tell us your Doctor Who origin story. Ooh, right. Okay. Um, it, it's difficult because I've told this a few times. And, and, and you know when you... Um, retell a story it morphs and changes a little and I'm I've now got to the point in my life where I don't really remember things very well so I'm not sure how accurate this is um but this is this is the broad um the broad entry really uh, I, I I started listening to Doctor Who listening and watching Doctor Who um back I think in the 80s um and I say listening there because uh, we recorded practically everything off the off the telly uh, there was no vhs then uh, so i i recorded stuff as it was playing live and listened back to it in the evenings on cassette so i've got loads of cassettes uh, still in my parents loft um, with audio versions of, uh, of 70s and 80s is doctor who um, so not not really a, a, a normal uh, intro as a child I didn't just start watching it so I, I, I fell in love with it very very quickly um, I never really got heavily involved in the wider universes such as they were back then um, I didn't really have that many people to talk about Doctor Who with pre-internet days uh, and as is common I think with a lot of people my age you, you, you kind of lose touch with the show uh, in um you know, when, when other things become more um, important to you as a as a teenager. Um, and I, I came back to Doctor Who after secondary school, really, and um, very much got into the, the latter part of the McCoy um, era uh, and was horrified when it was taken off air. Um, but my love of the show kind of been refound at that point and um, I got very much into the new adventures in the early 90s and uh, for, for many years that was my Doctor Who and uh, I think I'm right in saying I've read virtually every single Virgin New Adventure uh, at some point. Can't remember them now so I really really ought to start reading them again and um, and of course got incredibly excited around 96 when everything everything came back um, but um, the way I refound the classic series was when Tomb of the Cybermen was was found, and uh, that that was a major thing for me. And uh, the girl I was with at the time um, went out and bought it, and uh, so I thought fantastic taste. I got absolutely hooked on it immensely, incredibly reignited um, all of my my fan genes and interest in the show and I went out and then bought a whole bunch of other um, VHSs and my love 
uh, of Doctor Who and my relationship with Doctor Who outlasted that relationship by about 50 years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've, um, I've just not really looked back since. And uh, certainly since the show come back in 2005 and since, you know, I was already into Big Finish by that point massively. Um, it, it's got to the point now, whatever creative direction the current producers of the telly show uh, take, I, I will always watch it and uh, I will always be uh, an avid fan. And um, I've just got to the point now where I'm, I've started to wish beyond hope, really, uh, that they rediscover the missing episodes um, before I die. Um, that's my one thing on my bucket list. I want to see some more missing Doctor Who. I would really be annoyed if I died and then they discovered these missing episodes. <laughs> it would have on my headstone, here lies James, and he's bloody annoyed. <laughs> so you have a magic wand. You can bring back one story that they discover before you die. Uh, however, once you finish viewing that one story... It's over. Uh, what is the story that you want them to discover? <laughs> really, really hard to answer, but probably the Celestial Toy Maker. And uh, I, I know that's not a particularly common choice, um, but again, it was one that I listened to very early on. Um, one of the BBC CDs, I think. Um, I, I just found it incredibly captivating for some reason, probably because it was more sci-fi than many of um, Hartnell's stories. And, of course, the fact that he disappears um, in in part of the story or for large parts of the story doesn't really matter on audio because <laughs> you can't see him not being there. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, I probably would choose that one. But in all honesty, any any recovery would be fantastic. Brent, the Doctor Who fairy is offering you the same offer. Uh, what is your choice for bringing back... A missing episode. Actually, when I listened to a lot of or watched a lot of the recons, uh, it was Enemy of the World that I wanted back, and actually got my <laughs> got my wish granted, which was fantastic. So right now, I guess it would be um, much like everybody. Uh, the uh, Daleks' master plan would be excellent to see, except for Feast of Stephen. I think we could skip that one. <laughs> <laughs> We can see that already, can't we? Uh, I don't know. Oh, I can't there's, remember. there's there's three episodes that are That's right. that are out of the twelve. So yeah, a fourth of the story. <laughs> <laughs> and for me, uh, I probably go with Myth Makers. I was thinking about it recently. Oh, yeah, and it just seems like one of um, you know, it's one that we don't have. It's a really different kind of story, and I think it's one of those stories that. Um, if we never get it back, it's one of those stories where I feel like New Who could probably kind of steal from it. Um, and you know, I, I agree that I think Doc's Master Plan would be really fun for the fans. I am not a fan of the Daleks, uh, so like for me, that's not as tempting. I'm sure it's going to be animated at some point in time because it's so much easier to animate Daleks than it is to animate people. Um, so yeah, that that would probably be probably popular i know everyone wants marco polo but i uh i don't know i've read it it's, 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 it seems like it would be very pretty to look at but not a lot happens um uh james it sounds like your doctor who origin story kind of presupposes this idea that uh big finish is going to be a big part of your life um just starting off listening to mm. the audio 
you're already like primed oh, for for yeah. that. No, it was incredibly exciting, and I I remember. I, I couldn't tell you for sure how long it was prior to the first Doctor Who audio being released, The Sirens of Times. I know it was in 1999, but something called BBC I was was um, still around at that point. <clears throat> and that was essentially um, an old internet forum run by the BBC. And I had, you had a whole bunch of fans, um, lots of people posting there regularly who um, people recognize now because they've got careers either in big finish or doctor who in some way but andrew pixley was one and um there was lots of chatter about big finish acquiring the license to make brand new doctor who and uh it was absolute manner from heaven for me and uh right from the very first release i i, I was at a sci-fi shop called 10th planet in barking um in a queue um <laughs> every single time big finish released a new story and that was once every two months back in the day they didn't do Mm -hmm. anything else literally one release every two months now they have something like 50 releases every two months it's it's phenomenal but i I used to stand in a queue outside 10th planet waiting to get my cover signed and i did that i think for the first few years Um, and the cds i've still got and uh, they're up in the loft now but there are some autographs that I've got on the cover. I can't make out who they are. But I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I met so many people uh, back then. I had no idea how how much I'd treasure those memories. All right, quick question here, because the first thing is you said you can't you can't recognize them. I'm like, mm. <laughs> you know what we need to have is a Doctor Who signature databank. You know, like somewhere like you could see a visual and proof that it was so and so. And I was like. That would be really great. Someone should put that together if it hasn't already done. And then I thought, I guess we just asked Toby. I, don't, I mean, it just feels like that seems like the logical. But if Toby's not the one, uh, that would be something we should get on because I know that um, because I am also a collector of signatures, uh, it, there's a lot of folks out there who have these signatures, something signed, and they're like, I have no idea who this is, and you can put it in there. And there's people who can be like, ah, I recognize that loop. I recognize so-and-so. You ask a couple of questions and you can figure out who it is. But that would be really good for Doctor Who because I have a lot of, um, like, a Doctor Who poster or something like that that has a bunch of signatures on it. It's not, it's not always legible. <laughs> no, it, it, so it is would difficult. Be, that would be cool. It, yeah, it, it's good. Cool. For, for me, I'm not a collector, um, not not in the same way you are, Drew. So it, it, in a way, it doesn't bother me <laughs> that I don't know who these signatures are. What, what really is valuable to me is the fact that I met these people. I met Maggie Stables, you know, before anyone oh, ever really thought, you know, she was a fantastic um, companion. Um, she signed the Marion Conspiracy literally the day it was released for me. And uh, I already knew her for her role in Sirens of Time. And uh, the, the amount of people that I've seen again and again and again because of Big Finish, and each of those illegible squiggles are just really good memories of, of various times when I uh, I queued up and met my um, met my people. It, it was also the only time I ever met any other Doctor Who fan because up until that point, really 99, Doctor Who fandom for me was incredibly, uh, it was, a, it was a, a solitary thing. You know, you didn't talk about it with people. And if you did, if you did find someone to talk about it with, they'd be slightly odd. And, you know, it's it, it's not like uh, the communities that you have now. And uh, I've, I've traveled over to the States 
uh, for conventions uh, to meet other fans, other um, people who have the same kind of passion and interest in the show as me. And, and it's just stunning. People often say, why do you travel all the way to L.A.? just to celebrate a British TV show that was made in the country where you live. And it's because we mm-hmm. don't celebrate it the same way. And you need to get out and see how the real world celebrates a show when, when fandom really gets going, because it's certainly not prevalent in the UK that the um, the fandom experience is totally different. And uh, when I look back at my my journey, my fandom journey, so to speak, the, 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 the pinnacle of it was just going to somewhere like Gallifrey and feeling normal. I very rarely feel normal under any circumstances and, <laughs> and Gallifrey was, was just fantastic for that. And that's the thing too, uh, when you have a fan base, finding your people, finding your tribe, however you want to describe it, um, it's wonderful. And, and as a fan who has come to Doctor Who very late in life, you know, 1996, and then really not until 2005 to start meeting. I think my first conversation about Doctor Who with another human being was in 2004 when I went to a friend's house and they had a VHS copy of Curse of Fatal Death. And I was like, wait, I don't remember Hugh Grant ever being the Doctor. Oh, (laughs) you haven't watched Curse of Fatal Death? And they put it on. And I was like, this is totally not like the comic book or the TV movie that I've seen. And the two examples of, of Doctor Who I'd ever done. That was like the first conversation with another human being I'd ever have about, about Doctor Who. But, uh, you know, the three of us are a part of this new tradition, this new fandom uh, in that podcasting, you know, like this is sort of like our gift to fandom. I, I don't want to say gift because ultimately it's just, we're just a drop in a massive bucket of Doctor Who podcasts. Mm. But it is how fandom is engaging with it uh, on a regular basis. I mean, more so the conventions, more so than just even watching. Like, you know, there's more podcasts happening off-season and off-days. And, like, you know, you can you can jump on and just hop in Doctor Who and you can hear every type of fan discussion of it and, and point of view, which is really amazing because this is the way to have conversations. Like, I have met friends who I had not physically... Like, Brent and I did podcasts before we ever physically met each other. You know, like, mm, that's the thing. It's mm. the same thing with you, James. <clears throat> so the real question I guess I'm getting is, Brent and I have been a part of this DWP for... Years? I mean, technically, se- <laughs> seven years engaging with it in a, in its in a sense, but being a regular part of it for at least four years... Mm. How did that get started? Well, you don't even need to um, figure it out. Well, one, as I said at the beginning of the show, my memory is terrible anyway, so I can't remember the the, the way in which every interaction or relationship is is formed. But the point stands, and is perfectly valid, uh, that my life now, real life, has been informed massively by how I celebrate Doctor Who in the evolution of podcasts uh, and, and that kind of techie way of communicating. It was original at one point, but like you say, everybody does it now. Um, but it, it's largely informed some of my closest friendships. I mean, there's there's no one who I record with on a DWP who I haven't met in real life now. Uh, I've seen Michelle... I, I have to think about how many times I've actually been to the States in order to, to see her. She's been over here. Um, you know, it's the international dimension uh, of the DWP is very important to me because... Uh, that that really does 
reflect my experience as a as a fan so um getting different perspectives from different cultures and countries is is interesting uh, but becoming friends with people and just being able to talk about all manner of stuff i mean the amount of garbage that brent sends my way via text on <laughs> british tv have you seen this and i'm going or have you heard this um i, I hope you don't mind me mentioning this brent started talking to me about a band called madness the other day who yeah. are shockingly <laughs> terrible but it's, I, I just said to me wife oh yeah my friend where's he live new carolina north carolina yeah talking about sucks and and our house and really terrible songs um that were very popular <laughs> in the uk and it just makes my life more rich um, and, and i could give you many many different examples of, of when i've had messages from from michelle and the others along the same same kind of thing so obviously i don't get that with ian i just get various insults from ian <laughs> <laughs> well uh how did the dwp come about we were on the who cast the dwo who cast um again i couldn't tell you the timings now it was definitely prior to matt smith becoming a doctor so that was 2010 i think and the three of us at the time were presenting yes presenting a pretty much a set format uh, on on um the dwo who cast which fell into a bit of a routine we were essentially doing it for Doctor Who Online, which are a massive fan website, still are now. Um, and we just simply wanted to break out on our own. Uh, so at one point, we just did it and um, just launched the Doctor Who podcast. The, um, the choice of name, you won't believe how long it took for us to come up with it. It was phenomenal. <laughs> and uh, you get some cryptic names like, uh, you know, the... Uh, cloisters of Rassilon or something along those lines <laughs> and then I think it was Tom I think it was Tom um, who, who just said why not the Doctor Who podcast and Trevor and I just thought oh okay <laughs> why not the Doctor Who podcast and since then we have been the scourge of Doctor Who podcast the community because they all go why didn't we think of that and, uh, and, and now you have podcasts that say we are a Doctor Who podcast. And as Brent, you rightly did earlier on in the show, we now place the emphasis on the Doctor Who podcast. The original, you might say. So it's, <laughs> that was how we got started. And um, we just haven't stopped. We had, we had about a four-year gap, as you know, when the show just went through a big regeneration, shall we say. And um, we're, we're back strong now, but um, fundamentally, the format of the show and the stuff that we discuss is exactly the same as we discussed back in the day. I've actually been listening since back then, since the <laughs> since the DWO who cast. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I remember back then, and and um, I, I sent in a piece of uh, fan mail or or comment or something, and, and Marty Did read you? it back, and I was so excited. Oh, stunning, like, stunning. Marty I, said my name. I, I didn't know that. Well, I, I will tell Marty that. I'm still in contact with Marty, and uh, he's a fellow runner, and uh, he lives the other side of the River Thames, and we've, we've run um, Burgess Park Run, I think it's called, uh, a, a few occasions now, and he's very recently, well, back end of 2022, recorded a whole load of new audio inserts, um, and I will make certain that um, that he knows that uh, he, he read out your feedback over 10 years ago, Brent. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a long time ago. Well, uh, continuing on with Doctor Who, uh, well, we have to ask you this. Your favorite Doctor and your favorite story. 
Favourite Doctor, John Pertwee, without a shadow of a doubt. There's not a single season of his I dislike. Um, and favourite story, the standard answer to that is that it very much depends on what you're watching at the time because you still think this is fantastic, but that's a bit of a cop-out. So um, I, I generally go for Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's... Ugh. Not for the CGI or, well, CGI? Whatever passed for CGI back in the 70s. <laughs> yeah. Plasticine, I think. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, I, I just love the whole idea of deserted London um, and post-apocalyptic stories um, are great. You know, I like Troughton's The Invasion for the same reason. The whole idea that London's been evacuated is great. I love 28 Days Later. Uh, yes, Eccleston's in it, uh, but same kind of thing. And I, I just love the idea of the film crew getting up really early and, and being able to drive down the Haymarket, which is very close to Leicester Square. And actually, they didn't have permission to do it. And yeah. no one was there because no one got up got up that early. You know, London wasn't as 24-7 as it is now. And um, yeah, just, just the whole story behind it and the fact that Doctor Who gets to meet dinosaurs. What more can you want? It's a great story. And, and I like how... Uh... The very first episode just says invasion because they, they didn't want to spoil that dinosaurs were in it. That's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. And it's also the only reason why it was um, it was the only episode in that story that was in black and white for years and years on end uh, because they thought it was part of the Troughton story, the invasion, and they, you know, wiped it. Hmm. And um, so that's why that you know it, it, we've got a cut a copy of it now. I don't know whether it's been restored or it was found somewhere, uh, but yeah, the whole idea, just the whole concept, even then, of let's not spoil them. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's been colorized. It's not. Um, I, I I think that when the uh, season eleven Blu-ray comes out, they'll have a really mm. great shot at colorizing it a lot better than it was originally. Now that'll be that'll be great. I have to say, yeah. Um, but I very much look to seeing Invasion of the Dinosaurs again. I'm um, kind of waiting for it to be released on Blu-ray, so I don't just watch it now and then it's it's not fresh in my memory. <laughs> it's one of the good things about Aging Brent is because you forget watching yeah. the stories so quickly that actually it's quite fresh if you leave it two or three years. Certainly for me, and that, that experience is only going to improve as I get into my sixties. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> James, I don't think we've ever discussed um, the new CGI that is used in Doctor Who, especially for the the releases on DVD and now for Blu-ray. Are you a fan of that? Uh, the, the the kind of I guess new special effects. You have the choice, of course, watching it. But when you watch uh, a classic episode, do you choose to watch the original or do you choose to watch the uh, special effects? Usually, the special effects, the CGI version. Um, I don't think it's a particularly contentious thing. Uh, fandom thinks everything's contentious, but uh, my only concern would be is if we didn't have the original source material to watch if we chose uh, to do that. We do. It's not like the Lucas Star Wars original trilogy, is it? So, <laughs> um, so therefore, yeah, I, I think it's great, really. And uh, so long as it's in keeping with the rest of the story and it doesn't stand out a mile, um, then then great. But yeah. Doesn't bother me. I mean, is, is that something that is, is is an issue for you? Then do you mind? Me? No, I I love it. Mm. Uh, 
and, and you're right, the fact that the original is still there. Just like um, I've heard talk that they may colorize some of the old 60s Doctor yes. Who stories, which I yes, think yes. would be awesome. And, and you know, it would get, I think it would give it a little bit of a new life. Uh, but you still have the black and white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it it's an interesting thing. This recolorization thing. It doesn't just um, start and finish with Doctor Who. There's lots of other black and white stuff that they are. Uh, they've developed some very innovative techniques uh, based on the microdots uh, on the original film, and that's true of Dad's Army as well. Uh, but um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating for me, and just watching them in color is um, is will be incredible what i'd really like and again you may have seen this already is if they finally get around to recasting and filming the missing episodes from scratch now that would be great i think um i i I know that that would um upset the purists um but they've they've done it already i think master plan or at least um no there was a trout story i can't remember which one it was now uh but a university it was the beginning, the the prelude to Master Plan. College students did it. Mission so it wasn't to the Unknown. BBC, yeah. mm-hmm. Mission to the Unknown. Yeah. yeah. Which I watched and thought was phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, it was. Because they really, I mean, I don't know the audio, so like I haven't listened to it before. So I just watched it off of YouTube. But knowing that they dumbed down the technology to make it feel like it was <laughs> yes. kind of authentic, yes, like yes. they didn't use a ton of CGI, everything was on set. I thought it was really cool, and I feel it feels like a real loving homage. So I would be entirely. But I also don't have the predilection towards, uh, you know, keeping things the same. You asked if I like the CGI. Love the CGI. Um, Kind is one of my favorite stories. Mm. Uh, and the first two or three times I watched, I watched it on the the new version of the disc with the with the CGI serpent. And then one day I was like, you know, I've never seen the original. I watched it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's why. It, well, the um, thing is that that experience is the opposite of most fans because we all remember the snake. Right. You know? <laughs> so. Yeah, and I think that poisons a lot of people's opinion of that story, which is, I think, one of the most uh, innovative kind of stories that Doctor Who has ever put together. Um yeah, uh, it's interesting too. Listening to podcasts, um, there's a pi- uh, podcast called Five Years Rapid with uh, Kyle Anderson and Joy Piedmont, which is just a just taking a look at the Third Doctor. And after listening to all of that and listening to their opinions, I was like, yeah, it's really good. I went back and I rewatched most of the Pertwee episodes, and um, yeah, love it. Like I, I completely, I understand why everyone has a favorite Doctor and and how every basic season could be someone's favorite, but. Um, Going back after my initial watch of Doctor Who, I find that the first and third Doctor are the ones that I, I go back to uh, and rewatch. Whose opinion, my opinion, has like definitely gone up on those seasons. I, I think that happens over time when when you are ensconced in fandom and nothing is going to get you out of it again, regardless of the direction of the show. Um, then. When you rewatch the older stories, you already have um, a desire to enjoy them, and I think they improve re- with rewatching. And that that certainly has happened to me, pretty much for every single story, with the only exception being the Web Planet. That will never, ever be a good story under any circumstances. <laughs> it's just not possible. <clears throat> and I must ask, I must ask. We on the DWP, we spoke about season two 
Blu-ray a lot before it was released. And uh, I just want to check, Brent. I know you watch every single minute of those discs. Have you rewatched The Web Planet? No, I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but I will. I promise I will try again. And I will do like at least one episode a, a day. Maybe not per week. But... Horrible. It's like medicine. <laughs> It is. Well, I, I will give it this. The very first episode is, is actually really good. But then after that, it is a snail's pace for me. <laughs> I, you know, I defend the web planet any chance I get. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, it's been a while since I've I've watched it. I haven't rewatched it on uh, with the Blu-ray just because I haven't gone back and watched much classic. I haven't had time recently. Um, this is one of those stories where... Uh, when as I'm watching it, I in my brain I kind of shut off that part of my mind that realizes that I'm watching it on television, and I try to imagine watching it on a stage as a big stage production. Yeah, it doesn't work for and me. That I've tried it. That fills me with so much joy. <laughs> but that's that's a, for a, a, another time, I guess. I'm quite sure this isn't just a, a passing fancy. Oh no, it's definitely not a passing fancy. I've fenced her for 17 years. <laughs> are you absolutely sure that you want to marry her? No, sir, no. I'm tortured by self-doubt. I'm only a humble butcher, you know. Is it true affection she feels for me? Does she love me for myself? Or does she love me for my meat? <laughs> One of the things you're talking about how, uh, as fans... We we come to Doctor Who different. Like maybe maybe Web Planet is never going to be something for you. But I think it's our duty as fans to uh, evolve our own opinion of our show as we ourselves evolve and grow and change. Right? Like you know, I am not the same person who started watching Doctor Who in in 2012. Uh, you know, I've been watching Doctor Who for only for 11 years. But I guarantee you, my my opinions on many many stories, as I just said. Uh, with the first and third doctors have changed, but we also know that when we bring a guest on, that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of their fandom. Our guests have other programs that they love, and clearly, you do as well. So, what story? Uh, what sorry? What show have you brought for us to discuss this month? Dad's Army. Why? <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, it was a no-brainer. Um, Brent had to encourage me just to make that decision regardless. Um, Dad's Army is a British institution, um, and I I questioned whether or not it would be a good subject to, to discuss uh, for a, a number of reasons. Um, I mean, first, first of all, just to give you a bit of context... Um, it's omnipresence in UK culture, more so than Doctor Who. More people will have heard of Dad's Army than they will have heard of Doctor Who, I guarantee you. Um, yes, the average age of, of fans, so to speak, uh, is, is probably slightly higher. You know, it's probably about 70 now, to be honest. Um, but uh, it was an incredibly successful run of, uh, of 80 shows that started in 1968 and finished in 1977. Nine series, Christmas specials. It was everywhere. You had the cast turn up at events in character, um, and you had a whole bunch of actors, maybe with a couple of exceptions, um, who were towards the end of their career, suddenly launched into stardom 
in a way that they were never expecting, you know, which presented its own issues, actually, in making the show over nine years. Because, you know, Arnold Ridley, for example, was already into his late 70s when he was cast as Private Godfrey, and he had to go another nine years, you know. It was was phenomenal. Um, I started watching it, I think, with my dad, And I couldn't say for sure that's the case, but I know he enjoyed it. And I know my mum didn't dislike it. And so whenever it was on, we we watched it and I always found it funny. And uh, it got to the point where I didn't want to miss it. And again, because I came to it a lot, you know, after the original run... The BBC didn't show them in order. You know, this whole box set phenomenon, it didn't exist. So you get random episodes from all over that nine years. The only ones that they didn't show were the first two series, which is a total of uh, six episodes each, so 12 episodes, because they were made and broadcast in black and white. And it, it simply wasn't something that was done at that point. So stories from season three all the way up to season nine used to get randomly repeated. And I, I just used to love watching a new story that I'd not seen before. And when we went away on family holidays and stuff, um, I was traumatised if I was going to miss one. So I ended up getting friends of the family to to video them. And I used to really look forward to coming home and just checking on VHS to see whether or not this weekly showing of Dad's Army was one that I'd seen before. And I, I didn't have episode guides. I didn't know which ones were coming up or anything like that. And somehow it just kind of permeated me. <clears throat> and I ended up basing most of my humour on one-liners that um, that were appeared in a script, um, which came with its own problems, uh, as I found out um, a, a little bit later, because some of the humour uh, doesn't really work very well, uh, certainly not in 2022. Um, but um, it was very, very slapstick in nature. Um, it was it was just something that appealed to me. And um, I, I, I kind of grew out of it in the same way I grew out of Doctor Who, um, until... Much later uh, in, in my life, when I thought, I like this podcasting idea. What can I do where I'll have no competition? <laughs> 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 because even back in the day, you know, with, with Doctor Who, uh, you had Podshock and you had the Who cast and, you know, really big, uh, long running podcasts. No one did a podcast about Dad's Army. So I absolutely captured the market. Um, and I had dreadful technology. I couldn't record myself clearly for for, for years um, because I, I was learning everything from scratch. And um, it was uh, it was a show in which I cut my podcasting teeth on. And I, I got to discuss it each week with my friend Tony, who I've known since primary school. And is uh, is a wonderful friend. I still see him and speak to him sometimes two or three times a week. Uh, even even now, and um, he was a reluctant um, podcaster. In fact, I never forget the first time we did a commentary episode. He wouldn't speak to me because he wanted to watch the episode, and so you've got me talking. As fortunately, I'm quite good at talking for thirty minutes at a time, and then asking Tony questions to which he would respond with one or two words, and then say, <laughs> "Look, I just want to watch this bit." I'm going, "This is not good audio." So that's the kind of you know, entry really for me for 
for, for podcasting. Um, but it's part of me in the same way Doctor Who is, the characters I love. Um, I got into um, fandom such that it was, as it was, which uh, was, was interesting. As I said, every event I went to, I was the youngest person there. Um, I met the entire surviving cast uh, from the early 90s. Um, Frank Williams became a personal friend. So I went around his house on several occasions. So he played the vicar. And um, he, he only died recently, which was was incredibly sad. Um, but, yeah, and that did affect me quite a bit, I have to say. Uh, but I interviewed um, Jimmy Perry and David Croft on stage um, at uh, Dad's Army Days uh, up in Thetford, which is where all the location stuff was uh, was shot. And I became part of that community um, in, in a way that um, I never really intended and um, it was it was through my friendship eventually with Bill Pertwee that got me to Bernard Cribbins interview for the DWP when we used to do interviews. And uh, that's just because he casually mentioned during his interview that he used to go fishing with Bernard Cribbins. Um, and he didn't realise what he'd done. Is this, this crossover in my mind, this fusion of Doctor Who and Dad's Army that I wasn't expecting as I was recording. And my eyes must have gone cross-eyed. But either either way, <laughs> either way... Um, that that led to some wonderful material for the DWP as well. But um, I, I will always love Dad's Army. Um, it, I, I'm stunned that it got a shot in the arm probably eight, nine years ago now when Oliver Parker um, directed and recast everything. And then we had a big film. We had Dad's Army on the big screen. We had the missing episodes. As I said, Doctor Who doesn't have the monopoly on missing episodes. Um, remade recast one of them was animated you know it's it just keeps on giving dad's army and uh, it's just been such a long time since i've sat down and actually watched an episode uh, but yeah so that's probably an incredibly long answer um drew that you asked uh, about half an hour ago. well hold on one second brent before you ask this question okay. this is one of the things that i feel like we at who and company fail to do frequently when we ask a guest they talk about why they bring on the show, but then we fail to actually describe what the show is. <laughs> James, imagine this is an elevator pitch, and it's a fairly slow elevator, so you have a little bit of time. Could you just give us a quick description of what Dad's Army is for those like myself who hadn't heard about it? Until recently. See, now I feel bad because I think you should perhaps recut this back at the beginning of the episode, you see. so uh, <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> this actually feels like an episode of Dad's Army, like just from the three episodes that I've watched where the, the whole thing goes in and they go, yes, but what, what is, is it? it? Okay. <laughs> As the entire time, I'm, I'm just kind of wanting to go... Are you sure that's what Okay. Well, okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll give you a very quick summary to start with. Um, the uh, older members of the community during the Second World War, so those who were too old to fight, uh, who wanted to contribute, um, decided to form home defence guard. This is in real life. Uh, this this actually happened. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was full of older men, and they, they, they were laughed at by the communities, by politicians, by real soldiers. Um, they were laughed at and just considered to be a bit of a joke because they used to meet 
in the evenings. Uh, they used to go on patrol. They weren't given any weapons initially, so you used to have them with, uh, you know, pitchforks and um, broom handles and whatever weapons they could uh, they could um, come up with and improvise. And uh, eventually, um, they became a recognised body. They were funded by not not very much uh, by the government at the time. They were given uniform. They changed their name uh, from local defence volunteers into home guard, and um, they uh, they became the home defence. So should the Nazis ever invade, they would be met on the home front by a bunch of pensioners. And uh, at some point, uh, Jimmy Perry and David Croft. Um, decided, well, there's actually an idea by Jimmy Perry, as it says uh, in, e- in the credits for every episode. Um, he decided quite, and it was quite controversial at the time, this is rich, a, a rich comedy material. Uh, and, and bearing in mind 1968, uh, you know, people, people's memories were still fresh they could remember what it was like during the second world war and was was the uk public ready for a comedy uh, about a, a particular element of the war and uh, initially the answer was no <laughs> but but it, it it soon changed very very quickly um, and that's one thing that um the show does incredibly well despite the fact that it is a comedy it is very aware that it's set against the backdrop of a tragedy i.e world war Two, and therefore all of the information about the war um so much as down to what was available on the ration jones is a butcher and uh it you know it's all accurate it's all accurate and they took pains to do that throughout the entire uh entire run but um, yeah, that's that's what it's about. Um, initially, there wasn't really much continuity. It was 30 minutes each week. And slowly, it became a little bit more self-referential. And uh, you had some overarch- overarching themes, uh, like um, Pike's lineage, you know, who who is his real dad, that kind of stuff. And that that's something which um, came out over the nine years very, very slowly. But it's... Um, yeah, it, it's just a brilliant mix for me of uh, something that's, you know, a, like a historical event. And I was very interested in World War Two when I was growing up as well. And I've always enjoyed comedy. I've always enjoyed making people laugh and um, or trying to at least. And it was just a nice, a nice fusion. So, yeah, hopefully that gives you um, a bit of an idea. It's not a slow moving elevator, Drew. It is stationary, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> had you heard of this, this show, Drew? Had I heard of the show? The first time I heard of Dad's Army was when the missing episodes were discovered. Um, and quite a few Doctor Who podcasts were discussing what had been found in that um, cache at that time. And um, I looked it up very briefly and went, okay, great. Yeah, how many are missing? There was a bunch of episodes that were found, not just Dad's Army and not just Doctor Who. And so I had I gave the same amount of attention to Dad's Army as I did to anything else that wasn't Doctor Who, which was a, a cursory, if at best. Yeah. That, that, um, to answer your question, Brent, there are still three missing episodes from season two, um, but oh, prior okay. to that, and I couldn't tell you when, um, there was um, some others again, predominantly from season two that didn't exist, uh, but they they found audio, um, then they found the actual episodes, then they recolorized one. Um, uh, so it, again, it's quite difficult to record a precise sequence of events. 
but they still there's still a couple from season two that do not exist in their original form. Yeah, I had heard of this show, but uh, I never had the opportunity to watch it. So what I love about our podcast is that we we ask our guests to give us a few of their favorite examples, which we'll get to in a minute, um, mm. so that Drew and I can see the best of these series that we've never seen before. Because uh, you know how you tell somebody, oh, hey, sit down and watch this show with me. It's really good. And then like a really crap episode comes on, and you're like, oh, God, that's not really what it is. And they're like, yeah, right. <laughs> that happened to me with uh, Dragonfire. Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it happens here a lot. <laughs> Um, uh, but I have to say, I've really enjoyed the three that you picked for us, especially, uh, mom's army. Uh, uh, there was actually a scene in there where I laughed out. I was watching these in my car on my phone. <laughs> There's a scene in that one that I laughed out loud in my car. Were you driving? Uh, no, no, no. I was on my lunch break, but, uh, <laughs> it's the scene where a man wearing, it's not wearing his glasses and he's trying to get used to not wearing his glasses and he walks back over to his desk and missed the entire chair and landed on the floor. That was hilarious. Um, but I really love the premise. I had no idea that it was based in, in fact, oh, yeah. like you said, yeah, yeah. That's, it makes a lot of stuff in that first episode make sense. Um, the writing was really good. It had a really strong ensemble cast with unique characters. Uh, everything was really well paced. Um, so yeah, if the rest of the series is, is mostly like these, I'd, I'd really like to watch it. Um, for our North American listeners, it's currently on BritBox and YouTube, of course. But, um, I'd like to hear what Drew thought about these, this show after watching it. Uh, uh, listeners, (laughs) Uh, podcasting's an audio medium. You can't see how red uh, James's face has suddenly got uh, when asked what my opinion is. So let's see if I can make it worse. Um, so I, I watched them last night, and I couldn't find... Uh, we were given three episodes. We'll talk about why you chose those episodes here in just a moment. Um, the first episode, the final episode, and an episode in the middle. Um, and so I started with... Couldn't find the first episode at first, so I watched Mum's Army first. Uh, I watched the final episode, which I didn't know was going to be the final episode until uh, it was, in fact, the final episode. And then, with a little bit of finagling online, I found the first episode and then rewatched it. So I, I didn't see them in order, but after the first episode, I did do a little bit of research because I was like, I'm lost. I don't understand what is happening. Uh, so that helped because I didn't find the first episode particularly funny. Um, I found it. It's just not my humor. I understand how it is funny. You know, it's one of those sometimes where you're like, I get it. I didn't laugh at it. Um, uh, and I understand why it's funny, and I can, I get it. I can actually see how shows like this influence shows that I did get into. Like, I can absolutely see how this influenced Blackadder. Very much, um, especially uh, season four of Blackadder. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of one-liners, a lot of kind of like the, the character studies by the third episode, which turned out to be the first episode, I started to enjoy it a little bit more because I started to get who the characters were. And I think this is one of those shows where, watching it in chronological order, uh, I will enjoy it more the more I watch it because I found jumping into the middle of it, most of the characters to be very difficult to enjoy. Um, also, Mum's Army ends in a very odd <laughs> way and an odd note. Like, it really feels like it stops in the middle of a two-parter and there's like a, a cliffhanger episode to it. And I don't know. I don't know what happened. My prediction of what was going to happen at that episode 
did did not come true. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. Um, <laughs> I I think if I were to watch more episodes, I would probably turn to James and say, I liked this aspect of it. What episodes could you recommend that are more of that style? Um, so, yeah. It, it was really difficult choosing episodes um to to recommend that um that not not just people who did who weren't fans of the show to watch it was you know it, you didn't know anything about the premise uh, which is why i almost didn't choose dad's army but um i i just decided to go for it anyway because it means so much uh, to 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 me um and i and i'm not surprised to hear that episode 1 in particular was difficult for you to watch drew um for what it's worth oh no i actually really enjoyed episode 1 the first episode i watched was mum's army and ah, that okay. was difficult for me to watch i watched episode 1 last and i I really wish that had not been the case because it's a really good setup yeah, it, episode. It, it is. It, it is a good it, setup episode. Um, it's not the strongest episode. It's not my favorite episode of even the first series. Uh, but it all, all of the basic building blocks of Dad's Army are there and it's catered for in the script. Um, so once you watch that, regardless of, of what comes next, really, um, it's it, it kind of helps you appreciate the, uh, the, the the premise and how they got together, uh, the hardship that the characters were under you know, during World War II. Um, but yeah, Brent mentions the, the characters. This is a character drama. Happens to be set in the war. But it's all about the characters. The cast, as you mentioned, Brent also, is stellar. These are really successful actors, as we've mentioned before. And, uh, you know, um, John Laurie, for example, had been in all manner of um, Shakespeare productions and, and, and so on. Didn't get any recognition. In fact, he's famous for going on record to say, you know, he's had 30, 40 years of like doing stage production and it's this rubbish that gets him <laughs> the attention, <laughs> you know. And uh, I, I think it's, um, I, I think it's a unique series and a unique story, really. Um, but yeah, I, I, I get it. I mean, Mum's Army is slightly different because that's that's a different episode, and I nearly didn't suggest that you watch it because, again, um, that goes into much more drama as well, and. Yeah, the previous episodes or lots of episodes before that are much lighter in tone and uh, you know they don't have any kind of pathos um, don't have a, an emotional um, or don't attempt to twang the emotions uh, by, by the story it's just a slapstick a lot of it is slapstick and uh, you know the, the characters that you get to know and love say they're comic lines in various different circumstances and sometimes the the, 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 um, the stories put them in such ludicrous situations and uh, it's it's just hilarious, and uh, you kind of just love uh, these characters. And 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 by the time Mum's Army came about, it was a good few years uh, after the first episode was broadcast. And uh, you know, it was just a a real curved ball. Um, and of course, one of the things you don't get very much at all throughout the series are strong female characters. There are a couple. Pike's mum, 
uh, Janet Davis is reappears throughout the whole of it. Mrs. Fox turns up in in lots of uh, lots of episodes, um, but they they're not pivotal to the plots. They're not pivotal to the stories, uh, and yet Mum's Army turned that about completely. And uh, I I really liked that element of it. And and the last episode again had a degree of pathos towards the end. I mean, you kind of had um, Joan starting off as a completely bumbling. Um, pensioner who you think shouldn't be trusted with a meat cleaver or a, or a rifle, let alone anything more deadly than that. And actually, um, you know, as the series continues, uh, he he just becomes more of a well, more moronic in certain ways. And yet, he is the one who has some wonderful little character moments throughout the years. Uh, sometimes with Pike, you have the oldest, yeah, one of the oldest and one of the youngest members of the cast interacting in little scenes that have nothing to do with a plot and the characters are not the exaggerated versions of themselves you see in some of the slapstick um, episodes. They, they, they're just genuinely acting and it's then the quality and the experience uh, that comes through uh, from, from this cast. And Never Too Old, you have, you know, the... The pathos at the end, really, uh, where you've got the um, the acknowledgement that the home guard was real, and uh, without it, these this this story wouldn't have been told, the series wouldn't have been created, and then of course you've got a nice little ending for for Jones uh, as well, when he actually finally gets married to to Mrs. Fox, is a terrible woman, uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's. It was really hard. Um, if you ever wanted to seriously watch further episodes, then there are two or three that I would recommend. Um, but I would almost certainly steer clear of all of the black and white ones. There were a lot of, probably a lot of Doctor Who actors that showed up during this. Do you recall any? I, I know in that um, one of these episodes, I think the very first episode, John Ringham was in there. Well done. Oh, I'm very impressed. Yeah, Toxel, I think, from the Aztecs. Right, yeah. Um, from from memory, yeah. No, he played um, he played Bracewell, who was always intended to be a regular cast member, and they decided at the end of episode six that he was too similar to Godfrey, so Arnold Ridley's character, and um, he, he didn't reappear again, which was all you know. You can imagine how upset John Ringham was once Dad's Army went on to become the most successful show in the history of shows, almost. <laughs> Um, and he'd been cut. Um, but he does reappear. He does reappear as different characters uh, in series three and four, I think. Uh, occasionally, you get one of Mannerin's superiors come in. And um, he's, um, he's he plays a couple of those characters. Um, but there are uh, lots of Doctor Who crossovers. Um, but none with the main cast, interestingly. Mm. And uh, it, it's always guest guest. Um, cast and of course Bill Pertwee who turns up in the first episode as well is John Pertwee's cousin mm-hmm. uh, so there's a slight connection there um, Taflin Thomas uh, replaces um, James Beck's character and uh, James, James Beck um, played Walker um, for the first few series and then tragically died um, and the writers didn't know what to do uh, bearing in mind he was one of the youngest members of the cast and he was he he died first and um they replaced him with um uh, a character who was a journalist on the local paper this crazy welsh person 
and uh, who is played by Taflin Thomas, who appeared in Doctor Who on several occasions. Um, the Deadly Attachment, which is one of the most famous episodes of Dad's Army, uh, where the platoon capture and look after a U-boat crew headed up by Philip Maddock playing the German commander. I so nearly sent that one across to you instead. <laughs> but, I've uh, seen that. Why would I have seen that? There might be an answer to it, actually, uh, Drew, as to why you might have done. is because they actually made an American version of it, of that one episode. Uh, and they called it The Rear Guard. And uh, you can find it if you, if you Google it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a US take on Dad's Army. That single episode, it was just a pilot that never got picked up. It is largely regarded as awful and uh, it should never have been been made now the, uh, and the, do not do not American watch it version yes well i don't <laughs> oh, yeah. know if they've other than the office has they ever made a successful american version of any uk show a few times but uh i can tell you the american version of red dwarf was absolutely terrible <laughs> terrible life I on mars the american version of coupling also really bad. but no, i'm like i've seen that episode and i can't for the life of me think like it must have been podcasting homework would it have been in a special feature on a doctor who dvd like i don't understand like why i it could have I've been it's good there's one particular scene where uh, i mean the, the whole premise of that particular episode is that philip maddox u-boat commander is um he, he manages to get under the skin of practically every character uh, including mannerin and pike and uh, Pike ends up um, singing some kind of derisory song and um, he upsets the U-boat commander and he says, what is your name? And Mannering, quick as a flash, says, don't tell him, Pike. Um, and uh, and that is the, the thing that you almost certainly would have seen before, uh, not just necessarily. It could have been in a Doctor Who special feature. You're absolutely right. Somebody may have decided um, to do some kind of feature on Philip Maddock, who appeared in four different Doctor Who shows. And I'm kind of tempted to ask Brent if he can name them now. But uh, Okay, hold on. Uh, let's see. Don't have to. Brain of Morbius. Right, that was the only one I knew. Okay. Uh, Maddock, Maddock. He was in uh, Power Crawl. Yes. Uh, Crotons. Yes. One more. Um, oh dear. I'm very impressed. Listeners, very impressed. The war game. <laughs> the war games. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was uh, the war chief or the war. That's right. Something. So I'm wondering yeah. that those are the four stories that I'm going to go back and check now <laughs> to see whether they actually did a, a piece on Philip Maddock. But uh, and he was in a couple <laughs> of big finishes as well. But that that particular scene is um is is world famous. It features in clip shows. Um, you, you name it, you're, you're, you probably have seen that somewhere. Yeah, it feels like podcast homework, but I couldn't for the life of me think of, of huh. under what scenario. And if Brent can name all four Philip Matic episodes, he certainly would have known if I had supposed to watch that for Who and Company. So it wasn't for our podcast, <laughs> which now <laughs> begs the question, which podcast was I doing homework for? Because uh, it's a hard enough time to do it uh, with this one. All right, uh, you had mentioned when we talk about uh, Doctor Who crossovers uh, on, and on this one, uh, James. Again, magic wand time. You can describe a a Doctor Who Dad's Army crossover. There's an episode. Oh, it's a special. Goodness. 
or <laughs> or it's an epi- a lost episode of Dad's Army that has the Doctor in it, or it's a lost episode of Doctor Who with Dad's Army. Uh, what would you like to see in that? Really quickly, I don't expect you to give me an entire script with punchlines. Uh, just as well, I think the whole concept is incredibly alien, if you'd excuse the pun. But uh, <laughs> I, I, um, I, I don't know. I, I think some kind of alien invasion of Warmington on Sea, where the Doctor mm-hmm. teams up with Captain Mannerin, and um, I don't know. Um, yeah, it, it, it's. I kind of feel like I'm describing some kind of parody version of dimensions in time um so i I don't really want to continue because it's uh my my, my brain is rejecting the idea drew i'm afraid (laughs) okay then i'm gonna have one more question to go along with that is um at least give me the doctor that you would like to see uh be in that episode oh dear again it would have to be pertwee and i have a feeling and i i can't recall for sure but i have a feeling john pertwee was up for the part of captain mannerin at one point Oh really? I know he was. I I think he was considered, um, but uh, obviously it's very hard to imagine anyone else playing Captain Mannerin other than Arthur Lowe, particularly with the interaction with John LeMessurier as Wilson. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I guess that would be it. But as I said, I'm in this. I I feel weird talking about this joke. <laughs> well, well, that's partially my job on this podcast yes. to make our guests <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, speaking of Mannering, uh, there was a reboot movie that came out a few years ago, yeah. and Toby Jones played his part, which I thought was excellent casting. But I haven't seen it. What did you think about that? Yeah, it was it was a really weird um, idea, I have to say. And uh, we, we were talking about the whole idea um, when the rumors um, there were always rumors for a Dad's Army film, but they they seemed to gather a bit of traction. Uh, just when we were recording regular Dad's Army podcasts. And um, I, I remember saying it's going to be an absolutely terrible idea. And um, it, it's like playing with the crown jewels of comedy. Um, and, and there's very little really to gain uh, by, by by pursuing such a venture. Uh, and again, it's the, the original show is impossible to replicate or duplicate. So is it really worth trying? Um, particularly given it will be written by someone other than Jimmy Perry and David Croft. Um, And I was incredibly nervous about it. And yet when it came out, uh, of course I went to see it. Um, There were some amazing references uh, to the original show. Frank Williams, as I mentioned earlier, he was in the film as the vicar. (laughs) So there, there there was some lovely little, you know, unexpected... Um, references to the original show and I think largely it did okay it it, it did all right um, you're right Toby Jones and Bill Nye were were amazing um, they, they were really good pieces of casting had they tried to copy what Arthur Lowe and John LeMessurier had done to the letter you know or right down to the small little mannerisms I think they'd have probably failed and I think most Dad's Army fans would have said look it just isn't worth doing but I think they managed to create something new uh, as well. And to be fair, I am generally a big supporter of any new initiative that will bring new fans in who will go then and watch the old show because that help keeps it alive. 
in in the same way that many people drew i'm sure you're one of these wouldn't have even considered watching classic doctor who had you not been brought in through the mcgann movie or whatever was more current you know um it's uh it, I think it was as, as big a success as it could possibly have been. Um, and, and having people like Mark Gatiss cast as a captain in it as well was, uh, was was wonderful. So it was another star-studded cast. I saw it in the Odeon at Leicester Square. So it was like, uh, you know, the biggest cinema really in, um, in London. Uh, well, in the UK really. And uh, it was um, it was as good as it could be, I think. And I think Oliver Parker, who um, who directed it had so much to lose um, and he's still in game for employment. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, rather than end this podcast on a negative note, let's end it on a positive note. Um, what kind of projects do you have coming up that you would like to plug? I thought you might ask this, um, listening to you asking other people on here as well. And I'm going to answer with a fairly unique response. None. <laughs> <laughs> We we will continue to record the DWPs uh, unless um, my co-collaborators uh, choose not to. Uh, but I have no real creative projects uh, on, on the go, really. Um, I, I, I will always enjoy recording the DWP. Uh, I'm very proud of what we continue to develop, uh, right down to the cover art, to the little inserts, um, you know, Brent has created a couple from Megloss that I love, that I use all the time. So anything, anything really that just continues and promulgates the DWP, and that's the Doctor Who Podcast.com, um, is it, it's, it's on my my list of things. Um, but other than that, I am incredibly uncreative, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, on that note, thank you for joining <laughs> us for Who and Company. Uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I really hope you did enjoy watching Dad's Army. And Brent, if you're serious, I will give you a uh, PowerPoint on uh, season by season and which ones to watch. <laughs> well, there you go. Thank you for joining us at Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iHeartRadio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. I intend to mold those men out there into an aggressive fighting unit. I'm going to lead them, command them, inspire them to be ruthless killers. And I'm not going to get very far if you're going to invite them to step this way, am I? <laughs> quick march is the order. Ah, there it is, sir. All right, quick march! Not much point, I'm here already. <laughs> Name, James Fraser. Occupation? I keep a philatelist shop. How do you spell that? S-H-O-P. S <laughs> So there's a lot she works for the gas, light, and coke company. She's a sonsy girl with big, strong thighs that... Uh, yeah, you're, you're right. They're, when, they're very strong when they got strong thighs. Don't you know I know it, yes. <laughs> anyway, bring them along tomorrow night. We only need a handful, and with proper training, they'll release us, the frontline fighting troops, to grapple with the enemy. Well, I don't think Jonesy and Fraser will have much energy left after grappling with those big, strong thighs. Oh, <laughs> Warden wasn't right, was he, when he said the Nazis would walk straight through us?
Of course he wasn't right. I know one thing, they're not walking straight through me. Not me. I'll be beside you, Jonesy. We'll all be beside you, Jonesy. We'll stick together, you can rely on that. Anybody who tries to take our homes or our freedom away from us, they'll find out what we can do. We'll fight. And we're not alone. There are thousands of us all over England. And Scotland. And Scotland. <laughs> all over Great Britain, in fact. Men who will stand together when their country needs them. Excuse me, sir. Don't you think it might be a nice idea if we were to pay our tribute to them? For once, Wilson, I agree with you. <laughs> to Britain's home guard. The Britain's home guard.